What's your praise, Father? Let the praise that we offer you this morning be pleasing to you. Let the words that we bring to you this morning, the words, Father, that causes you to experience our worship from a deep place, a deep place. God, we're not just singing songs, we're not just speaking words, but we come this morning and we come saying to you, Father, you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. Lord, we declare wherever we are, the different poems represented here this morning, we declare that you are great, God. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. For you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. I want right where you are, I want you to whisper something to the Father. I want you to tell him something that is on your heart because he said, I am here this morning and I'm here to listen. I am here this morning and I'm here because I have invited you and you have come. And the Father is saying to us this morning, he knows our individual needs. He knows our longings, he knows our pain. He knows and he's here this morning and he's saying to you, come my daughters, come my son, reason with me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me about the things that concerns you. And so right where you are, I just want you to, to bow your head and I want you to just speak to your God. Share with him the concerns you have. Share with him this morning all that you need to tell him that you have not told him or you need to think or you think you need to remind him of. Speak to him this morning. Yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul, I say yes, Lord. Completely yes. My soul say yes. Thank you, Father. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, God, I am mindful, Lord, that there's some this morning who can't speak, have no voice. And so I just want to praise you. I am mindful this morning, Father, that some are so depressed that they refuse to speak. And so we stand in proxy for them, Lord, and we praise you. 
Lord, we're mindful of those this morning who are so sick in the body, Lord, that they cannot focus on you. Their minds are so drawn to their immediate problems, God. But Father, we stop this morning and we lift them up before you. Have your way this morning in your life of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Healing rain in this place. Shower of mercy and grace. Falling on every place. There is freedom. There's healing rain available this morning. Healing rain available this morning. This was not planned. I, I This was not even part of my script. But I just sense the Lord saying there's healing rain in this place. Healing rain in this place. Healing rain in this place. Will you reach out to the Lord this morning and take hold of your healing? Will you reach out? And touch the Lord this morning and take hold of your healing. Whatever is happening in the body, whatever is happening in the mind, God has the ability and the power to bring healing. So healing rain in this place. Healing rain in this place. Healing rain in this place. Yes, Lord, shift the atmosphere where your people are this morning, Father. Shift the atmosphere, Lord, where there, are, there is depression, God. We ask you to bring your healing. Where there is need for deliverance, Father, we ask for you to deliver. Lord, where your people are in bondage, Father, we ask you to come and set us free. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, this morning for the opportunity to come. And so we come, the songwriter said, that we bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. There is nothing, there is no one who compares with you. So I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping you, Lord. So I will come and bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. There is nothing, there is no one who compares with you. So I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping you, Lord. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping you, Lord. So I will come 
and bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. There is nothing, there is no one who compares with you. So I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping you, Lord. Will you come this morning and bow our hearts before our Lord? We come and we bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. There is nothing, there is no one who compares with you. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping. I take pleasure in worshiping you, Lord. Yes, God, we take pleasure in worshiping you this morning, Jesus. We take pleasure this morning, Father, in worshiping you, God. We take pleasure, Jesus. We take pleasure. We take pleasure this morning, God, in worshiping you, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. So lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Lead me, Lord, and I will go. You have called me, and I will answer. Lead me, Lord, and I will go. Lead me, Lord. And I will follow. Lead me, Lord, and I will go. You have called me, and I will answer. Lead me, Lord. And I will go. Lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Lead me, Lord, and I will go. You have called me. And I will answer. Lead me, Lord, and I will go. You have called me, and I will answer. Lead me, Lord, and I 
you have called me, and I will answer, lead me, Lord, and I will go. You have called me, and I will Lord, I hear you calling us this morning. I hear you calling us this morning, Father. I hear you calling us. I hear you calling us by name this morning, Lord. I hear you calling us by name. I hear you calling us by name. You're calling us this morning. You're calling us this morning. You're calling us this morning, God. You're calling us by name this morning, Jesus. Lord, we hear you this morning, God. And we ask you to lead us. Lead us, Father. Lead us, God. Lead us, Father. Lead us this morning, we pray. Lead us this morning, God. Lead us this morning, Lord. Lead us, lead us, lead us, God. Lead us, God. Lead us, lead us, lead us this morning, Jesus. Lead us this morning, Father. Lead us this morning. We cannot walk without you holding our hands this morning, God. We cannot do it without you this morning, God. We can't even walk, the songwriter says, without you holding our hands, Lord. The mountains are too high and the valleys, God. Father, we can't walk, God. Can't even walk. Can't even walk. Lord, without you, Father, there's nothing we can accomplish, God. And so we come this morning and we bow before you. And we declare to you, Father, that you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. For you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there is none like you, Father. There is none who understand us the way you do. There is none who know us the way you do. There is no one who can meet the needs that we have the way you meet them, God. There is no one, Lord, who loves us the way you do, God. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you are here with us this morning, Father. We thank you, Father, that you have called us. You have invited us. You have said to us, come, come. Whether you have money or not, come. Whether you're hungry or fed, come. Whether you're thirsty or not, come. 
whether you're sick or you're well, come. And this morning, Lord, the invitation is to all of us to come. Come if you're lonely. Come, come, come if you have no money. Come, come if you're depressed. Come if you're happy. Come if you're sad. Come if you're troubled. Come if you need prayer. Come, come. Here we are this morning, Father. Here we are before you this morning. We give you all the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. This morning, we want to continue the series that we started in September of last year in the book of James. In the month of December, we took a break because we were looking at the Advent season. And so this morning, we want to wrap up the book of James, looking at verses chapter, actually chapter five, verses one to 20. It's not a long read. And I'm going to ask persons to assist me this morning in reading. I am opening at the NIV, the New International Version. And I ask person this morning to join me in, in reading. Jennifer, I would love for you to read verses one to five. And can it's actually Jennifer verses one to six. And can you do verses 7 to 12? And let me see who else is there. Can I ask you, my mother, to do verses 13 to 20? Does it James 5, Jennifer, verses 1 to 6. Does it matter the version? No, it doesn't. Come now, you rich, weep and howl your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasures. You have fattened your, your heart in a day of slaughter. Thank you, Jennifer. And you have condemned and put to death the righteous man he does not resist you be patient then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rain. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is 
standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the facing of suffering, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And I'll repeat. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner, sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Here ends the reading of God's word. Thanks. Thank you, Jennifer, Anna, and my mom. And so we wanted to continue, as I said earlier, to look at chapter five, which is the last chapter in the book of James. We started a series in September called, What Kind of Person Is This? What Kind of Person Is This? The series was influenced by a rhetorical question asked of Jesus when in Matthew 8, when Jesus, in the midst of the storm, the disciples were anxious. They, they did not know what to do. But G, when they woke Jesus, he got up and he spoke. And he said, peace be still. Nature, it, it demonstrated that Jesus had power over nature. It, it, it showed Jesus' single-minded devotion to, uh, and faith to the Father. 
and how even in the midst of a storm, Jesus showed us that we have power to speak. By looking at the book of James, we can, we can clearly understand that the kind of person James urges believers to be are, are persons whose faith produce a real life change in how they live, how they relate to others, and how they work daily in the kingdom of God. We, 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 we know from our study in, in September that the book of James, but just for reference and, 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 and refreshing and refresher, the book of, or the epistle of James was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And initially James was doubtful of Jesus as, the, as we hoped for a Messiah. But as Jesus, Jesus died and was resurrected, and, and he returned and he came back to them, James' doubt dissipated because he saw that this must have been the Messiah. James wrote to Jewish believers who were scattered among the nation in what we call the diaspora, living in hostile surroundings and being tempted to yield to the influence of evil and to put their faith in God in action. So the question I want us to, to reflect on as I go through this chapter of James is, how does having material possessions influence your overall sense of happiness and fulfillment in life? I will repeat. How does having material possessions influence your overall sense of happiness and fulfillment in life? How have you been waiting during your trials and your difficult moments? Have you been exercising caution? Have you been patient? This morning, we, 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 we believe that from the book of James, we learned and we observed that believers are called to stand confidently by faith. If you remember and you go back to, 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 to the tapes that we, we did in September, we, we recognize that believers are called. The book of James was not written to the unsaved or the non-Christians. It was written to Christian believers. Those who James was saying to them, you need to stand confidently by faith and focus on the unchanging nature of God. In essence, James was saying, no matter what was happening around you, no matter what was happening to you, there is a call to stand because God does not change. This will help us become more humble or to, to, for us to develop humility and to be contented in all circumstances. James tells us that and calls us to endure and to persevere in trials while empowering us to see trials as an opportunity to produce pure joy. James says, consider pure joy when you face trials. In essence, James is saying, you are lucky. You are blessed to be going through trials and having the, 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 the power of the, of, the, of the Holy One with you to help you to navigate through the trials. From James 2, we learned that believers are called to serve compassionately by recognizing the inseparable bond between genuine faith and action. In essence, James is saying, if you have genuine faith, your action should show it. 
There can't be a saying that I have faith, yet there is no action of faith, no works to show that you have faith. It said, show me your action. Show me your works, and I will tell you about your faith. James tells us that in, in James 2, that when we have genuine faith, we love impartially. When we have genuine faith, we show mercy to others. We listen well. James says, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. James is calling us to have that self-control over our tongues. From James 3, we learn that believers are encouraged to speak carefully. We speak carefully when our faith is consistent with the value and principles we profess. We speak carefully when we rely on the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and when we control our thoughts and speech. And in James 3, we learn that our speech is not only what we say verbally, but is the thoughts that we think about others. It's the thoughts, whether they whether be positive or negative, that I think about you. James says, watch your thoughts. Tame your tongue. Our tongue, we learned, is more than what we say. It's our attitude towards someone. It's my mindset towards you that you cannot see because I can pretend, but you cannot read my mind. And James is saying that when you tame the tongue, your thought life changes. Your action changes. In James 4, we learned to submit contritely. We do not, we do so by prioritizing friendship with God. We recognize, as James says to us, do not be presumptuous. Identify the root cause in you that caused you to be in conflict with others. What is causing the conflict that you, you are experiencing? Is it something inside of you? You, you, you want what you, you, you cannot have and so you kill? James says, refuse to speak ill about others or to pass judgment on them. Because in the same way you judge, God will judge you. In James 4, 13 to 17, James condemns arrogant and presumptuous believers who make future plans without conferring with God. James says, you plan to go there and go there and you start business and you do business, but you have not stopped to speak to God. God, is this where you want me to be? Most of us do not see ourselves as being boastful people. But when we make plans that if we control our time and our outcome, James says to us, you are arrogant, you are proud, and you are presumptuous. And this week, we want to look at James 5, which is a continuation and actually the closing of the book of James. And in verses 1 to 6 of James 5, James warns believers to exercise caution against materialism. In verses 7 to 12, he warns believers to exercise patience in waiting. And I want you to pay attention. In James 5, 13 to 18, he urges believers to exercise faith in prayer. And in verses 19 to 20, he, he, he encourages believers to exercise love by restoring others. 
Believers who observe and apply James' instructions to their lives will produce fruit in keeping with their faith in God. So my first claim to you this morning is the kind of person that James calls you and I to be is the kind of person who exercise caution against materialism. Jennifer read James 1, 5 verses 1 to 6 for us this morning. And we see in those verses, James reads an indictment or indictment against the rich. Or it can be read as an encouragement and comfort for the oppressed. So depending on which way you're looking at it. If you're seeing James call to the oppressed, you can also see James called to the oppressor. Some scholars believe that it was written as an indictment against the rich. Rich non-Christian. But believers, there are some who believe that James also wrote to believers, so there's no way this can be to the non-Christians. James says, if you are materialistic, there is the need for you to develop self-control. And based off our study last year, we recognize that self-control is a fruit of the spirit that emphasizes the ability to restrain oneself from excessive desires or indulgence in material possessions. By exercising caution, believers would resist the lure of materialism and would focus on values like contentment, gratitude, while prioritizing the spiritual and the relational aspects of life over material accumulation. James condemns rich oppressors and he calls them to weep and wail because hardship and distress is coming upon the oppressors. They have misused their wealth. They have trusted in temporal values. They have relied upon and their material wealth to give them happiness. But James says it will be destroyed and they will be left horrified and hopeless. James identifies three types of wealth accumulation that will undermine the soul. He looks at hoarded wealth. And he said, these include the, 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 like heirlooms and precious metals, those things that we store up. James warned that they will rot and they will be devalued because hoarding tarnishes things. I remember meeting this woman and she spoke to me about her silver. And she said, I have all these silver utensils that she was storing up for her children. And she said there's a home that her husband and herself and her kids when they were younger would go to Canada, go to Canada, and they would do it, it was like their summer home. And she said, now that her husband is, is dead, she's trying to will this over to her kids. And her children are saying to her, Mommy, we, we, we don't need that. Sell it. Mommy, we don't need those silver utensils. Get rid of them. And many of us as parents, we, we tend to hoard things or we tend to store things thinking that our children are going to need them. 
Our children don't need your heirlooms. They don't need your big, hard, heavy mahogany bed. Your children would prefer to go to uh, go and get a light thing made of some bagasse material because it, it is bling, it is pretty. They don't need those buffets that you have. They don't need those cabinets with your, 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 your glass that you only drink, drink from when guests come over. They don't need those. And James is saying to you and I, he said, when you hoard things, when you store things, who are you storing them for? Because your children don't want them. They have devalued that, that strong mahogany bed that you had. It has lost value. Even though it is, it is mahogany wood, it has lost value because no one wants those heavy materials anymore. The first thing you see, even when you go on marketplace looking on, on used furniture, and they will say mahogany, very heavy, bring assistance to help you to lift. We're living in a culture now that people want things that are disposable, disposable cups, disposable knife and forks, disposable everything because it's easier. And James is saying to you, for if, if you have accumulated wealth and you have accumulated those things, thinking that they will give you value. He said, no, they have lost value. They have devalued and some of them are rotting and those you intend to pass them on to do not want them. James continued by looking at the fine clothes that you and I will wear that denotes influence. James said those are being eaten by moths and COVID alone told us. Think about those beautiful shoes that you had. Where are they now? I wore my shoes last year to, to New York first class. Only to when I took my socks off, I'm seeing all the, 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 the material disintegrating on the inside. That was the last wear I would have gotten. And some of us recognize that we have all those things that we stored up. What's happening to them now? Moth is eating our clothes. Our shoes, they are disintegrating right in our very eyes. James said, if you were accumulating wealth and if, if your clothes gave you value and, and caused you to feel that you are one of influence, James said, look, even your clothes are being eaten by moth. Then James goes to the gold and the silver. And he said, your gold and silver will corrode. And the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Gold and silver are known as noble metals, which means they do not corrode easily, neither can they rust. But because of their disuse, they have been corroding. James says to, to, to you and I this morning, instead of using your wealth to glorify God, what we do, we, we build larger closets. And we get bins to store our bags and our shoes. And James says to us, all of that you have is transitory wealth because they will not last. They are materialistic desires that you have that, that have driven you to own more and own more. And James said, because they are transitory, they are going to waste away. 
In verses 3b, James declared, not only will your gold and silver corrode, but the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. When I first read it, I said, the corrosion will testify against me and they will eat my flesh like fire. I, 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 I wondered where did James come up with those words? Why, why that description? The corrosion testifies by giving an account to God about our hearts. Where your heart is, where my heart is, tells us, or where our treasure is, tells us where our heart is. The, the, the corrosion testifies and he says to God, God, this is what I felt was more important to me. They, they stand as evidence against us that we have disused and that we have misused our resources. They reveal what we have placed our faith in. We have placed our faith in our clothes. Most of us, our clothes, our beautiful furniture. Remember when you just got those mahogany, those dark stained heavy wood and you look at them and you felt pleased. I remember my mother when she was living in Jamaica, she had heavy, heavy mahogany. My mother, where are they now? I know you don't even know where they are. James said they eat our flesh like fire by revealing how materialism has consumed our soul. What we own, what we have, what we are saving towards and, and how hard we are working to acquire things. James says they are corroding, they are rotting mosses, eating them away, and they have testified against you. James seems to echo Jesus' instruction in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves NLH treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your uh, heart will be also. James continues this indictment against the rich oppressors. And he, and, and he lists four crimes against them. He says, greed has caused them to hoard their riches. There's a big difference between saving wisely and hoarding. And all of that you can see in the purpose of why the person do what they do. A hoarder finds it difficult to discard of their possession because of the perceived need to save them. And they are so distressed when just the thought of getting rid of them. Think about your home, how much things you have around you. How many bed sheets can you sleep on? How many shoes can you wear? How many towels can you use per day? Yet, it's difficult for us to let go of them. 
because we believe that if we get rid of it today, we may need it tomorrow. And James is saying, no, that's greed, that's hoarding. Hoarding your riches is totally different from saving. Hoarders are prone to be materialistic. I remember meeting a, a young lady many years ago, about 2014, and she shared with me a story that she grew up with her aunt. And it was a home filled with other children, her, her aunt's children and her, her mother's children. So maybe about, maybe six children combined with adults. And she said it was very difficult, it was hard. They, they had a lot of lack. And her aunt would take one tea bag and make a pot of tea and everybody would drink from it. She was now older and in a position to purchase her own tea bag. How many tea bags do you think she uses now to make a cup of tea? She uses two because she is still tethered to the past of not having. And so she showed me a picture of her home and she showed me she has shelves all the way from the floor up to the ceiling where she's stocking things because the lie was told to her that because she grew up in luck, she felt like she had to continue to hoard things, to get things just because a time of famine may come and she refuses not to have. She would never buy one chicken even though she lives alone. She would never buy one chicken. One whole chicken was in her mind was not enough. Some, some of us have that mentality, that mindset, where we're tethered to the things of our childhood. We're tethered to our past and we're hoarding stuff. We have receipts from when that are no longer applicable, but we fail to get to discard them because we think that there may be a day when we may need them. Saving wisely, on the other hand, is about being a good steward of what God has given us. But at the same time, we make what we have available to God as he instructs us. Notice the difference between the person who saved wisely. They have been a good steward. They still put away something just for any day. They still put it away. But just in case God says to them, I need what you have, they can release it into the, the hands of God. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 tells us, whoever loves money, never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. The two, this two is meaningless. I'm going to read that again. Ecclesiastic 5 verse 10. If you're a lover of money, you will never have enough. If you love to hoard wealth, you will never be satisfied with what you're earning. And then the, 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 the writer of the of Ecclesiastic tells us this too is meaningless. Think about all that you are holding, all that you have, all the things of value to you. Have you ever seen someone taking them with them when they die? No. And guess what? The children that we leave them for, they don't want them. They don't see the value in them. I remember hearing a story, which I know it must have been a joke, of a couple. The man was very tight, very mean husband. And he said to his wife, when I die, I want to take all of what I have with me. 
And so when he died, his wife wrote him a check and she buried the check with him. You, you, you think he can ever cash that check? You think he could ever spend that money even if someone cashed the money and put it in that, in that coffin? No, he can't. And that is what James is saying to you and I. When you and I spend time hoarding and accumulating wealth, James said, it is greed. It is greed why we hoard. It is greed why we never have enough. I laugh at myself this week because I've been wearing the same clothes every week because I, I, am, I have not moved with my clothes. My clothes, they're still at my mother. And so I have the same thing I'm repeating over and over and over. And I laugh at myself. And I say, so, so why do you need all of that? I have to question myself. Why do you have clothes stored away in bins, Ava? Why do you have a closet full of clothes at my mother's house, Ava? Why do you need all of that? What message are you sending? What message is your soul saying that, Ava, you struggle with greed? Because the truth be told, if someone tell me about a sale, I'd still be interested in a one piece, maybe not three pieces, but I still want one. James is saying to us, when you love things, you will never have enough. You will never be satisfied. And all of what you have is meaningless. The next Point, the next crime that James brought against these rich oppressors was he said, greed has caused you to be fraudulent, to fraudulent, fraudulently acquire your wealth by withholding the wages of your workers and they have cried out to the Lord and he heard you. Many of us have given an opportunity to withhold will do. Many of us give the opportunity to cut corners. We do. Many of us have given the opportunity to, 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 to fraudulently, though we don't want to, to think that we are thieves, but if we can get something without anybody knowing and cutting a corner and, and cutting back on something so that we can have more, we will do it. Leviticus 19 verse 13 tells us, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. And when I thought of, when I read that text, I thought about us in Jamaica or us in the Caribbean when we have helpers. Because in the Caribbean, you can have a helper. You can't have one here in America. So, so, so we get away, right, with that one. We don't, we don't get, it's not, it's not very often here in America we get an opportunity to pay a worker from our pocket. A workman comes to the house and he says 200. He either is trying to rob us or we are trying to cut back so that we can save more in our pockets, right? So he says, give me 200. He said, 200? 200, okay, I'll give you 150. And he said, no, I'll give you 180. He knew in advance that you're going to barter and you're going in thinking that he... He, 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 he padded the bill, so you go in ready to barter. And James is saying to us, greed has caused us to be fraud, to be fraudulent. Greed has caused us to withhold from others, either to overcharge or to underpay. 
I remember many years ago when I was living in Jamaica and I went to the Papine market. And I, I have this way about me. Then, and I'm going to use the word then, because I'm assuming and I'm believing by faith I'm no longer like that. And there's nothing that the, 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 the sellers will be selling that I would buy at the price they're, they're saying. If they say skeleton is $5, I want it for $4. If they say tomato is $2, I want the, 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 the skeleton, for, the tomato for $1.80. Never would I was I willing to pay at the price that they, 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 they suggested. And I remember one Saturday morning, the Lord said to me, if you cannot pay what they ask, don't, don't buy. Don't go every week asking these, these, these poor market vendors, some of them farmers coming in with their little stuff from Irish Town. And you come and every week you come trying to get less and to get less and to pay less and less and to go home with more. He says, no, stop it. And I, I felt a way, I, I felt ashamed because it's not that he called me out through anybody, but I'm getting ready that morning to go to the market and hear the Lord said to me, do not go and barter today. Do not go and, and cry down the people's price today. Whatever they ask for their goods, pay for it. How many times have you done what I have done? How many times are you in America? We can't get away because we can't say to the sellers, we can't go to Publix and say, Oh, I need that for a dollar twenty. We can't barter, we can't, we, but we, if we get an opportunity to go to Jamaica right now, and they say, Okay, they're selling this for that, you say, So you can't give me it for this. Isn't, isn't that what we say? And, and, and why are we doing that? James says, We are fraudulently withholding from people. We're, we're taking away what belongs to others so that we can accumulate wealth. The third crime against the rich oppressor, James says, your greed has caused you to desire to live in luxury and self-indulgence at the expense of others. And you have fattened yourself by illegally acquiring more and more wealth. The life of luxury that you and I want to live. Sometimes we do it at the expense of others. And James is saying that's greed. He calls us to exercise caution against materialism. The fourth crime, James says, greed has caused you to unju be unjustly condemned and to murder innocent men who are not even opposing you. Although wealth accumulation can pose risk, such as greed. James is not against believers accumulating wealth. Neither does he see riches as being sinful. Instead, James is saying materialism, instead James is, is cautioning us against materialism. And he's saying to us, examine your motives. Examine your desire. Why do you want to accumulate wealth? Why do you work so hard? Why are you saving? Why do you buy those fancy clothes? Why do you need 10 pairs of shoes when you only have two feet? James said, examine your motive. Examine your desire. Examine what motivates you to accumulate wealth. Is it greed? The rich oppressors prioritize materialism 
over relationship with God. And their brothers because they were fostering greed. So what happened with the richer person? They kept working and they work 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 because they're trying to, to get more and to get more and to get more. And James is saying, you have prioritized your wealth over your relationship with God. You have prioritized your income over your relationship with God. And that is greed. So when we think of rich of the rich oppressors, most of us will say that's not about that's not me. James isn't addressing me because I am not materialistic. But if your desire to accumulate wealth is driven by a desire for immediate acquisition, gratification, James is saying to you, you are materialistic. James is warning us that if our desire to acquire wealth is solely about us being able to spend our, our money on our luxury and our pleasure, James says you are materialistic. James is cautioning you and me and he said, if our hoarding creates a false sense of security that disconnects us from the lack we might have experienced in childhood, James says you are materialistic. James warns us about our wealth accumulation. And he said, ensure that you're not motivated by greed. James says to us, if you prioritize acquiring material possession and physical comfort over your relationship with God, materialistic. If you desire to accumulate wealth, if your desire to accumulate wealth stems from a need for superiority and identity, James says, materialistic. James cautions us to be individuals who exercise caution against materialism and practice patience while waiting. My second point to you this morning is that the kind of person that James calls us to be is one who exercises patience in waiting. Earlier, we looked at the materialism that, that, that James spoke about by the rich oppressors. And, but now he commands the believers and he said, be patient as you wait for the Lord to come. Verse, verse 7. Notice, James is not commanding believers to be patient, but to exercise patience in waiting for the Lord's coming. Here, listen to the difference. There's a difference between being patient and exercising patience in waiting. If you and I are impatient with someone or something, what we do, we go to the Lord, we pray, and we ask him for the patience, for the gift of patience, for the fruit of patience, right? And we pray that he will help us to endure these difficult circumstances or even the persons without us becoming annoyed or anxious, right? Isn't that what we do when we ask, Lord, give me patience. We pray, Lord, give me patience. We want patience for the person on the road that drive. We want patience for different things. On the other hand, exercising patience is waiting, or in waiting is the paradox of materialism. Whereas materialism seeks immediate gratification, Exercising patience in waiting involves a willingness to delay gratification 
by remaining calm and focused during periods of uncertainty while anticipating something or someone. Let me break that down. Materialism says I need it now. Waiting impatience says I am willing to delay that gratification so, but by remaining calm and focused during that period of uncertainty while I anticipate something to come or someone to come. In this case, James commands believers to exercise patience in waiting for the Lord to come. Have hope in Christ's return. It is the return of Christ that motivates Christians to persevere or should motivate Christians to persevere in suffering. Please note that there is a difference between patience in waiting and patience while waiting. Patience in waiting suggests being actively engaged in behaviors or cultivating a mindset that promotes patience during the period of waiting. So while you're in waiting, you are you're engaged. You are your, your, your mindset, you're developing a mindset of in, in, your, in, in, in your suffering. You, you, you are seeing your suffering in a different way. You are no longer grumbling and complaining, but you're saying, I am in this process, but I am developing, cultivating that mindset while I wait, while I wait, while I wait. On the other hand, patience while waiting implies enduring without actively doing anything during that waiting period. So you and I may be going through stuff. We're going through a trial, an affliction, a tribulation, an illness, whatever it is. And, and, and we can choose either to be patient in waiting or we pay, be patient while we wait. If we are patient in waiting, I'll see my struggles, my trials, my affliction in a different light. I will see them as opportunities for me to grow. I see them as opportunities for me to be mature and complete. But if I see, if, if, if I see my problem while, while I am while waiting, I will do nothing. I'll just wait, waiting out the period, waiting out the period. And sometimes we wait out the period to pass. But how do we wait it out? We, 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 we criticize those who cause the problem. We, we grumble against those and we grumble against God and we lose hope and we, we become depressed. James commands us to exercise patience in waiting by being actively engaged. The proper attitude in persecution is patience oriented to, to, to those who wrong us and patient in situations. And being patient, I'm sorry, in situations. James gives three examples of exercising patience in waiting on God. He looks at the farmer and he says the farmer exercised patience in waiting until something happened. Remember I told you, patience in waiting is, 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 is going through, actively engaged until something happens anticipating that something is going to happen or someone is going to come, right? 
The farmer waits, expecting, anticipating something to happen. He plants the crop, he tends the crop, but he doesn't stop there. He's actively engaged in caring for the crop, watering the crop. If he, had, if he had water, but if he doesn't have water, he, what he does, he waits for the harvest to ripe. He believes that the harvest is going to ripe, even though it is beyond his control. And what he does, he anticipates that God will send the autumn and the spring rain to produce the harvest required for his survival. So here, the farmer does his work, does what he can do. But he anticipates what is to come when his God provides what needs to be provided. The second example is that Paul says, I'm sorry, James says, be patient. You too, believers, be patient. You too, my brother, be patient. Believers exercise patience in waiting by being courageous in the face of suffering. Although suffering put our patience to the test, James does not excuse our tendencies to grumble, complain, criticize, blame, judge. Instead, he says, command believers to boldly endure suffering because we anticipate Christ's return. In essence, James is saying, listen, you have something to look forward to while you're suffering. You have something to look forward to. You have someone who is coming to look forward to. And he is the judge who is standing at the door ready to judge those who oppress you, but also to judge you if you are the one oppressing and judging others. And James says, be courageous while you're waiting. Be courageous while you're waiting. Yes, your patience is being tested. You are suffering, but, pay, but James says, do not grumble. Do not complain. Do not criticize or blame somebody. He said, this is an opportunity for you to see growth. Again, James looked at the, the final example. He looked at the prophets who represented the Lord, even though they were called by God. These were men who were called by God and sent by God and spoke on behalf of God. They suffered, even though they had a high calling. Then he said, look at Job. Job is a classic example of deliberately persevering. These men in their suffering, they persevered. They exercised patience as they waited on the Lord. James tells us that God blesses those who persevere in suffering, revealing the compassionate and merciful character of our God. Patiently waiting on the Lord come with, to come is more than enduring difficult circumstances without becoming annoyed or anxious. And most of us believe that we are patient because we do not get upset. We do not become anxious. But what happens in the midst of suffering? How do you respond? James said it is courageously and deliberately persevering in the suffering until the Lord comes to fulfill his promise or to manifest his presence or intervene in our lives that cause us to wait, be patient in waiting. 
It is being faithful while eagerly anticipating the unfolding of God's plans on his timing that is beyond our, beyond our control. That is being patient in waiting. It is, it is calmly enduring unto the Lord who is full of compassion and mercy comes to bless. Again, that is being patient in waiting. Exercising patience in waiting on the Lord to come is the goal of gaining maturity over trial. I will repeat. When you and I exercise patience in waiting, what we have done, we have attained the goal of maturity over our child. No longer does our child, no longer is the trial over us and dictating our, our response. No longer is the trial over us and dictating how we think and how we move and how we act. When you and I learn to exercise patience in waiting, we have gained maturity over child, over suffering, over tribulation, over affliction, over whatever you want to call it. So how have you been exercising patience in waiting? Have you been grumbling about your suffering? Have you been anxious? Have you been in disobedience? God says, do this, but you do that. Have you been worried? Have you been critical? Have you been restless? Have you been irritated? Or are, are, are you looking for a plan B, another way out? Let me find another way out to get me out of this time in my life. If you are like me, you may have done all of them. If you are anyway as human as I am, you may have done all of them. But James is cautioning you and is cautioning me this morning. And he's saying to us, I want you to exercise caution against materialism. I'm calling you to practice patience in waiting, but I'm also calling you to exercise faith in prayer. Because James know that to counteract worry, to counteract anxiety, prayer does a good job. That leads me to my third point. The kind of person James is calling you and I to be is a kind of person who exercises faith in prayer. In verse 12, James proposes that instead of swearing by heaven or by earth or by anything else, the suffering believer should exercise faith in prayer. He told, tells us when to pray, how to pray, and why to pray. And if you, and if you go into verse 13 with me, you hear James says, anyone among you sick? Is anyone, is anyone among you in trouble? Pray. So James says, we pray in times of trouble. We pray in times of happiness. And he said, what do you do then? You sing songs of praise. Singing songs of praise to the Lord is still a prayer. I'm hoping that we know that. James says, we, we, we pray in times of sickness. In essence, James is saying to us, develop the habit of prayer so that you and I can pray in all circumstances and experience the transformative power of prayer. James said there's never a time that you do not pray. There's never a moment that you cannot pray. There's never a situation that your prayer, when you exercise faith in prayer, that you won't see a change. Even if the situation does not change, your attitude changes. There's this transforming power of prayer. 
Then he says, this is how you pray. So not only does he say, when you pray, he says, this is how you pray. You call the elders of the church for prayer. You pray in the name of the Lord. You pray in faith. You pray confessing your sins to each other. You pray for each other so, so that you may be healed. So James give us a pretty much a blueprint, which I, I would dare to say is both prescriptive and descriptive. You pray in faith. You can't go wrong. That is the, the prescription for trouble, a hardship, being drawn or dragged away by temptation because you desire more and more and more. James says, pray. Then James gives us an idea and says, why should we pray? He says, prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So James says, if, you, if you're sick, you pray because when you pray in faith, the sick person can be well. Then he said, the Lord will raise up the sick person. That is why you pray. We pray so that God will heal the person. He said, if it, if it is sin that causes the sickness, he will be forgiven. Many times we pray. And we pray for persons for different things. And it is sin that is in their lives. James says, even when you pray about the sin in someone's life, God forgives them. James said, you pray so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Those are the reasons we pray. Here the term righteous is a call that every believer should reach towards. It is not the same as Romans 5.19 that tells us that the sinner is made righteous. This righteousness is attained when, even in the midst of trial, the believer exercises faith in God by praying and relying on him to respond rather than employing strategies to protect self. You and I know we're good at that. We're good at trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to put in measures to protect ourselves. James is saying, no. James says, no, he said, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So why aren't we praying? Why are we putting in other measures other than praying in faith? James calls us and he says, he says, the prayer of the, the, the righteous man is powerful. It is not driven by materialism. It's not driven or motivated by what he wants, but it is motivated because he is understand and he has learned how to wait patiently on God prayerfully. James further emphasizes how much a righteous person can accomplish by exercising faith in prayer by looking, giving us Elijah as an example. Elijah earnestly prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and, he, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. Notice, verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. So there was nothing special about Elijah. 
Elijah wasn't a superhuman. Elijah didn't have the Elijah, and, and even if we want to say Jesus, Jesus still came as you, Jesus was still 100% man. Elijah never had any, any, any power zooming in from heaven that you and I don't have. He never had a different Holy Spirit or a different measure of the Holy Spirit than what you and I had. Actually, Elijah's Holy Spirit that he had was in, 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 in the, what you call it, the cape. Elijah had what you and I had. We had, he never had anything more. And the scripture is saying to us, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Yet he was able to pray and God responded. Why? Elijah prayed in faith. So it was not Elijah's fervency, nor his frequency of prayer that matters. It is just that he did take matters into his own hands, but he believed God when he prayed. Many times you and I, we pray under discussion this morning, and sometimes we just pray. We pray, but it doesn't, it's a thing to do. We're Christians and we have, we, have, we, have, we, we have mastered the art of praying. It is one of the things that we do, we pray. And we pray, but how do we pray? Notice the difference. Elijah prayed by faith. He knew his God. He did not take matters into his own hands. He believed that God would respond and he prayed. When you pray, do you believe that God will respond? Do you believe that God hears you and will respond? Or you believe that you just let me do what is required of me? Or you pray, and if God answers, you are surprised. I found myself in that place. I've prayed about something, and when it happened, I'm surprised as if I never expected it to happen. Maybe you, like me, you are like me. You pray about something, and when God is, you're surprised. So, in essence, we are saying, we, we just pray, but we, never, we had zero anticipation or expectation. James encourages believers to exercise faith in prayer because prayer is a powerful and pr because prayer is powerful and the prayer offered in faith accomplishes much. We avoid the sin of unbelief when we pray. We grow unbelief when we complain and when we grumble. We avoid the sin of unbelief when we pray by faith. But we fertilize and grow and tend and care for unbelief when we complain, when we swear, when we criticize, when we judge, when we grumble. James cautioned believers to exercise caution. He said, exercise caution against materialism. Practice patience in waiting on God and exercise faith in prayer. There is the guarantee that God will bless those who persevere in suffering as they wait on him. My fourth and final point, exercise love by restoring others. James says the kind of person who, who, who is the, the kind of person is calling us to be is a kind of person who exercises love by restoring others. 
In verse 19 to 20, James says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. James is calling us to exercise love. He revealed that the key to living in community is exercising love by restoring others. As we exercise caution against the desire to be materialistic, and as we wait, learn to wait in, to patiently wait on God and pray in faith during our trials, James encourages us to help others do the same. As you are overcoming the tendencies and the desires and the lure of temptation, let us go and help others. Let us see those in our community, whether our church community in this community or the body of Christ on a whole, who, who, who are being destroyed, who are being lured away, who are being dragged away and enticed because there's something inside of them. James says that's very important. For, for community, mutual support. James says, when we pray for others, when we call them back, when we go, we turn a sinner from the error of their weight and we save them from spiritual death. And in doing so, he says, we cover over a multitude of sin. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself less, so you, you also be tempted. Considering yourself least, you also be tempted. In essence, James is saying, when you're restoring, don't think that you're superior. And you wonder, but how could that person fall in that sin? How could they do that? Remember, none of us are immune from any sin. The, the sins that you and I don't commit are, this, are, are the ones that God has literally put a barricade around us because we are sinful in nature. And James is saying, restore, but restore gently. Do not see the person and say, mm -mm, how did they do that? How dare they do that? How could they give themselves into that? James says, no. The thing that you think you're immune from doing, you have set yourself up by pride and you have offered yourself to the enemy of your soul and said, here I am, testing, tempting. James is calling us to restore others. James is calling us to exercise love to others. James is calling us and he's saying love in the community Love, make yourself lovable. Love others and make it, because love is two-way, I keep saying that. I said love is two-way. Love is about me being loved, but love is about me giving myself over to you and saying to you, you can love me. I want to love you. And I want you to love me. And the only way that can happen is that two of us have to have similar mindset where you say, I am giving myself to you. I am making myself trustworthy. I am, and you know all the things that you, 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 you know, that you need. James says, practice love. 
It is the key to community. Many will fall, have fallen, and are going to fall. But James said we are to restore them. Restore them. Bring them back so that this, we can turn a sinner from the error of their way and save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. So James is saying to you and I today, whatever is luring you, whatever the greed that is luring you, check it. Check why you need more. Check why you always need more. Check why you need more. You have not, you had some that you have not worn for the last two years. And, 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 and you know, I remember when I was in New York and you would hear persons who have a lot to say, um, it's three seasons. Well, three, yeah, three seasons. Spring, you need different, you need a lighter coat. Summer, you need summer clothes. Fall, you actually it's four seasons. Fall, you need a little heavier. And winter, you need the heaviest. And I understand that. But why do we need to have a red or a green or a blue or a, or, or, or a black in for every season? James says, watch it. And I too have to watch it because I am realizing all of the things that I have, I do not need. I cannot wear all my shoes. I cannot wear all my clothes. And James said, watch, 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 watch your desire. Watch what motivates you because, because the moths are going to eat it up and the corrosion is going to testify against you. So Father, this morning, I recognize, Father, that I have sinned. Like the rich oppressors, Father, I have hoarded, I have struggled with greed. Like the rich oppressors, Father, I have, I have fraudulently withhold from others that which belongs to them. And so, Father, I come to you this morning and I ask you to, to forgive us. Because the truth be told, when many of us read James chapters 5, 1 to 6, we take ourselves away and we say, that wasn't written to us. But Lord, as I, as I studied and as I went into the text, Lord, I am seeing where you're saying to, to me and to possibly some here in my midst that you're saying to us. You have too much and you still want more. Can you, can I trust you with more? Can I choose you as a steward who saves wisely? And so, Father, I pray today that, Lord, we will change, our desires will change for the things of this world. That our desires will change, Father God, that we'll move away from, material, from being materialistic. That, Father, we will learn what it is to wait patiently on you. That patience says, Lord, your time, your way, your will, your plan. Materialism says, my way, my plan, my timing. It's all about me. When I want it, God. So, Lord, forgive us. 
Forgive us, we pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you brought us through this entire book of James. There's so much we learned. There's so much we have observed. Lord, may we be people who apply what we have learned. May we not just persons who gather information and gather knowledge, but Lord, may we be people who are wise because we have taken knowledge and we have applied it to our lives. So here we are, Father. Here we are this morning recognizing our need for you. Here we are, Father, recognizing, Father God, that we have not endured trials the way you have called us to endure. Lord, we are complainers, we are grumblers, we are critical, we are judgmental. And you have called us to engage, to be actively engaged, changing our mindset, changing the way we do things, changing how we see others, changing the thing that we do while we are in suffering, while we are waiting. Actually, Father, I hear you say, wait in suffering. Wait in suffering. Who wants to hear that? Because all of us, are, we are looking for a way out. We are looking for an escape route. We are looking for another door, another way out of where we are. But you are saying to us this morning, wait in suffering. Patiently wait in suffering. And so, Father, we need you this morning. Most of us, Father, don't understand fully what it means to live in that place. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.